Well, it's noon here in Ventnor City, New Jersey, and Washington, D.C., and this is news that you can use from uh, Car Edge for Wednesday, October 4th, with your hosts, Ray and Zach. Look who's back. Dr. Zach, how's it going? I'm doing great, Pops. Happy Wednesday. Thank you, Justice, for all of your efforts while I was out. Dad, we are going to kick things off. Yes. GM and Ford and Hellman, I think we could have thrown Stellantis in there. The domestic automakers, they want to get rid of their car dealers. And we've got some new insights that help illuminate why. Let me pull it up on the screen. Please share, <laughs> share. We know, we know that every single automaker is thinking deeply about electric vehicles and a new research piece done from Kerrigan Advisors shows that automakers are thinking of non-negotiable pricing for their electric vehicles. Only 32% of those that work at the major OEMs that they surveyed think that the, the future of pricing for cars looks like it does today. There's an MSRP in negotiation. Most everyone, 68%, expect there to be either non-negotiable pricing or some sort of hybrid between the two. And we have already seen Ford Yes. And hell, we even see the domestics do this through their fleet sales. They're, they're doing set pricing on electric vehicles. This is yet another demonstration, Dad, I think, that the future of the auto industry is even more adver adversarial between the OEM and the dealer. What did you make of this? Well, it, a, a, that it's always been adversarial between the dealer and the OEM um, because it's not really – a partnership as as people would like to find a partnership um but yes the OEMs especially Ford early on came out and said for their EVs they want to control pricing they want it to be negotiation free um you know and dealers are are finding it difficult because there's very little margin in the EVs and Ford thought, well, this will really spur sales. And, well, the one thing it hasn't done on EVs for Ford is spur sales. Um, you know, when they announced the, the Lightning, it was like instantly there's 150,000 to 200,000 reservations, okay? And yep. now, the other day, they, they, they came out and they said, we ain't building any more Lightnings for, for dealer stock, you know. Well, they haven't built enough lightnings to even put a dent in the in the alleged 150 to 200,000 reservations that they had. Um, so I don't know. It just indicates to me that that a lot of this is just a pipe dream. It's just it's it's just corporate BS to try and placate the folks out there. And when the real issue is. People don't even seem to want what it is that they're building. Um, and that is a portion of the real issue. There's a portion of that, but let's stick to the placating because okay. think about all the different parties that the OEM has to appease right now. And and we've got a video coming out on Saturday, and it's essentially the I hate to say it, but it's the hypothesis or the thesis for why CDJR, why Stellantis is just going to fail in the United yeah. States of America. And there's like a really logical, intellectually sound approach for why and how that could happen. 
But let's come here. Johnny's Card Care and Reviews. Johnny, thanks for being here. We always love seeing you. Sorry, I meant to write Jim Farley spoke to dealers at a Ford dealer event and told them that dealers are very important and very much a part of the future at Ford. Of course he said that at the dealer event. Because what is underwriting this push towards, as Drew said, they looked at Tesla and said, quote, I want that. All these executives looked at Tesla and said, I want that. Because what what purpose does the dealer serve? It's the sales channel, right? They have to go yes. through the dealer for the sales channel. Well, there have been other automakers out there that have proven you don't need a dealer for the sales channel, and you can hold more margin that way because the dealer is a cost center in that model. So, of course, to the dealers, they're going to placate them and say, you're part of the future because they're the ones actually selling their expensive pickup trucks right now that are underwriting the entire thing, which... Ford came out and announced an increase to their line of credit recently. Look who else just announced an increase to their line of credit. That GM prepares a $6 billion credit line to cushion strike costs. And we haven't even talked about the laborers who produce the doggone things or the other uh, part of this mix, which is the customer. What do they even want? If I'm I'm Ford and GM, I I want to get rid of car dealers. I want to get rid of EVs. I want to sell cheap cars that I make a profit on. But it seems like they got no option, man. It seems like they're doing everything wrong. Um, well, you know, I had this conversation with with Justice. Just because a business has been around for 120 years doesn't mean it's going to be around forever. Um, you know, GM, Ford, they've been around a long, 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 long time. They've got expenses that some of the newer manufacturers don't necessarily have. Um, the they don't have to suddenly retrofit, you know, like Tesla built plants to be able to build electric vehicles. Ford, GM, Stellantis—they have to retrofit facilities or build brand new facilities to be able to build electric vehicles. And and it might turn out that 15, 20, 30 years from now that the electric vehicles weren't really the true future of the automobile industry, that there could be some other alternative fuel source that makes a hell of a lot more sense than EVs do. Um, so you've, you've got these legacy manufacturers and they're burdened with 120 years worth of tradition. They yeah. this is this is how they know to do it. This is how they've been taught to do it. And they don't they don't want to necessarily have to learn a new way. Dealers, you know, part of part and parcel of what we're trying to do is convince dealers that there's a better way to actually interact with customers that make it uh, a much more pleasant experience, not only for the customer, but for the dealership staff as well. Um, so dealers have to learn how to adjust. You know, it should, these things should be commodities that are just like buying a pullover at Kohl's. The price at the Kohl's in Hagerstown Maryland is the same price of that shirt in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You know, it's the price is the damn price. So you're not going to drive from Hagerstown, Maryland to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to go to a different Coles with the hope that you're going to save a few dollars. 
And that's and, how and it should be in the automobile industry. The price Dad, is the price, and you just go to your local dealer to get it. It's not just you saying that. That's what spurred the title of today's show, the primary topic. GM and Ford want to get rid of car dealers. Look at the data that's on the screen. Kerrigan Advisors, they're one of these industry industry firms. They're demonstrating and showing the exact same thing. Bless you. Um, bless you. For, yeah, no, I can see that coming a mile away. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's not only Ford and GM. I mean, we've read that, that Toyota would like to go to a different model and uh, like an agency model. Uh, and they will in in other parts of the globe. It's very difficult to do it in the United States because of the way franchise laws are set up to protect the dealers. Uh, You you look, you know, recently the law that was passed and signed in Florida, okay, that says new cars have to be sold through a franchise new car dealership except for one other company, and that would be Tesla. But yeah. other than that, it's got to go through a franchise dealer. So, you know, the the dealer associations have enough power, enough influence, enough money to be able to get states to get on board with protecting the dealers. So it, it's it's going to be very difficult for for GM, Toyota, the others to to get rid of dealers, but it doesn't mean that they can't improve the way dealerships operate when it comes to dealing with the ultimate consumer. It can and should be a pleasant experience that relies uh, a lot less on deception and a lot more on brand loyalty. Um, and and if we can get to the pops. Go ahead. We've got here, Dad, this is Rick Reichert, all right, the president of Columbus, Ohio-based Reichert Automotive. He was recently on the Car Dealership Guys podcast. Great episode. He said this, Dad, a massive dealership group. Yes. Quote, online buying has become the norm, and that requires transparent pricing. I do not see MSRP plus negotiation being where we are headed as an industry. That has been evident over the past couple of years with retail orders honoring MSRP and only in-stock unsold units being marked up due to lack of availability. So that is the president of one of the largest of, auto of groups a large privately held auto group. And I will and I will disagree with part of what he said in that statement. Okay. Because there are any number of dealers out there we confront it on a daily basis that even on an ordered vehicle look their customer in the eye and say I'm sorry, but you have to have that $3,995 appearance package. Okay, so dealers are still trying to add all kinds of BS to to ordered vehicles. It's not, they're not just doing it on excess in-stock units. They're trying to do it on ordered units. I admire him for saying that, that the industry has to change. Look at this comment, though, Dad. Yeah. This is from Darren. We haven't gone onto the Riker website, or I haven't yeah. pulled one from the community. But Darren says he, and I think he's speaking about Riker, yeah. 
has dealer add-ons on 90% of the vehicles, $1,295 for Simonize. At least I think it's $1,295. It's been a while since I've been to his dealership. That is exactly what you were just describing. We don't charge above MSRP, but we do it in these creative ways. Well, no, but what he was saying is they only charge above MSRP on cars that are in stock. And, and that if you, as a customer, come into one of his dealerships and order a car, well, they'll gladly sell it to you for MSRP. Well, you know, I can tell you four years ago that if if at the dealership you sold a vehicle at MSRP, everybody was high-fiving each other. But it's not four years ago, Dad. The point I was simply trying to make is that there are creative ways to go above MSRP. Oh, absolutely. It's the same exact thing you were saying. We're saying the same yeah. thing. Yes. And, 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 and his packages. Yeah, his dealerships are no different than the others. And and I still believe in my heart of hearts that ultimately everything should be the price is the price. It is set by the manufacturer. It is not a suggested retail price. It is the manufacturer's retail price. And it's the same price in in Philadelphia as it would be in Freehold, New Jersey. It's just and you're going to go to your local dealer. Now it becomes incumbent upon the dealer to enhance the customer experience. That's what let's leave want. it there, Pops. Let's let's leave it there. Again, the industry uh, from Kerrigan Advisors, they're the ones saying that this is how the industry wants to move, how the automakers want to go. To be very clear, we're on board with it. Obviously, yes. that's what you're describing. Let's come here to the chat, Dad, from Mark. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. New month, new donation to my favorite car guru company. We got to watch out with that car guru comment, Mark. We yeah, yeah. Uh, from the other car guru. Um, keep up, uh, Car Edge team. Thank you, Mark. We we really appreciate it. Dad, to to just solidify your point from Justice, yes. who obviously was on the channel for the past couple of days, Justice does... Oh, man. Yeah, every week, Justice, how many consult calls are you doing? Dozens of them. You're helping You're helping dozens of folks each week. Dealers are still dealers doing a deal review now. $1,200. $2,000 advantage package. $2,000 reconditioning fee. $900 taxable fee. All in a vehicle. $1,000 overpriced in the first place. Exactly what you were describing. Yes. Which is the reason why that particular customer should be, should be contacting other dealers with similar vehicles and shopping and buying elsewhere. Um, can fly chomp or fly pull, pull that tweet up. Now pull I that love tweet up, that comment. comment um, and, and I want to thank fly chomp or fly for the, for the donation, but I do want to ask him a question when it's, when it's Ray and Zach, it's five bucks, but when it's justice and Ray, it's only two bucks. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you that listen to the podcast after the fact, a thoughtful yeah. contribution, which we appreciate. Yeah. I need a place to test drive a car and ask questions. That's the reason I appreciate dealers, yet dealers don't even let some cars uh, be test driven. Uh, I completely agree with this approach. Just have test drive centers and then let us buy the doggone things and they show up at our front door. That's what I'm personally passionate about. And again, in this EV push, yes. the data that we started today's show with, uh, surveys of, of of executives at the OEMs literally saying we want to move away from how the model currently works. It's going to happen eventually. It's going to take a long time, but it's going to happen eventually. Um, it ain't happening in my lifetime, but you know, uh, because the dealers still have too much sway and too much influence over the politicians that are going to write the rules and regulations governing how 
um, automobiles can be sold in their respective states. Um, you know, there there is a reason that that politicians go into office with a net worth of X, and when they leave office, the net the net worth is 10, 20, 40 times that. Um, you know, so I I guess, I guess if I really wanted wealth in my life. I would have because obviously I'm good at spewing BS. And so I, you know, I would have made a great politician. Um uh, you know, and 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 would I would have been honest money. about it. I I would have gotten sworn in and, and I would have raised my right hand and I would have had my left hand out looking for money as I was raising <laughs> my you know, yeah, yeah, I'll do whatever you I mean I'll be good now. <laughs> Let's talk about the month that has come and gone. Yes. The headline in automotive news, market comeback continues. Major automakers post double-digit Q3 sales gains. Dad, yes. the car apocalypse, the car bubble explosion. The car, everything's looking, looking great. UAW strike, who cares? Consumer demand being uh, stunted down by interest rates, who cares? The market is showing resiliency. The bottom of that section or the bottom of that article talks about fleet sales, which yeah. again, yeah. need sales for the industry. What did you get out of looking at through the September numbers? What highlights, what lowlights, what did you see in there? Well, uh, obviously the lowlights have to deal with Stellantis brands. Um, um, Dodge sales off for the year or off for the quarter, up still up a little bit for the year. Ram off for the year, Jeep off for the year. Most of your manufacturers are showing double-digit increases in sales for the year. Um, but as we know, uh, the sales are going to a smaller and smaller percentage of the population. Last week, before you left, we talked about um, a survey that was done, and 83% of the population said they can't even consider a new car anymore, which leaves 17% of the population. And 17%, we figure, of potential buyers, we, we guessed yesterday that out of the 330 million Americans, or I guessed yesterday, out of 330 yeah. million Americans when I was talking to Justin, that, Justin. you know, no, I was talking to Justin yesterday. Uh, Sorry. In a separate meeting you know i'm a busy man and and, <laughs> and uh and so i figured you know let's let's say that out of those 330 million americans there are 250 million or so that are over the age of 18 that could buy a car okay and 83 percent of those say they can't which leaves 17 percent. so 17 percent of that 250 million is about 37 million people 37 38 million people and I'm thinking that the manufacturers figure, well, that, you know, there's, there's 37, 38 million people we can try and convince to buy a car this year. The hell with the, the, the rest. And I think that is, is a, is a situation that is truly going to need to be addressed. Um, they will not continue to have double digit sales gains if, they only have 37 million people that they can appeal to. If you want to continue sales gains like that, I don't know. I, I, I think you'd be better off if you were appealing to 80 million, 100 million people um, that, that could 
possibly, you know, walk into your dealership, raise their hand and say, yeah, I, I not only do I want to buy one, I feel as if I can afford to buy one. Uh, yep. So I, I, I think the numbers indicate some type of growth, a lot of it based off of fleet sales, but a, a it's not as rosy a picture as I think they're trying to paint. Can we comment? Two, two things going through my head. One is affordability crisis. We're going to be talking about that for a long time. Forever. Because the ripple... Yeah, because the ripple effects, to be very clear, are going to live on beyond this show, beyond yes. this YouTube channel. They're yes. going to live on into the 2030s, 2040s, 2050s. I don't know if we're going to still be on YouTube then. I hope we are. But <laughs> so there's there's some commentary around that. The other is that yeah. something just clicked for me. I know you never were in fleet sales. And I know when you represented brands, most of them weren't you know those that had major fleets. Yes. But I know for GM, for example, you do not negotiate on pricing when you buy fleet. I think it's like that for the other, other uh, at least domestics. And we're talking about a push, a desire from the OEM to go negotiation-free. The price is the price. Mm-hmm. And then we're talking about the area of most rapid growth for the industry in terms of new vehicles sold is fleet. Yes. And what does fleet have that buying a car at a dealership doesn't have? No negotiation. The price is the price. You're pretty much already just buying it from the OEM. And it's just like the dealer is the agent that's just doing the delivery. Yes, they get a delivery for me. Yeah. Yeah, that just clicked for me. The OEMs know this already works because they're doing it with their fleet sales, which is the largest or not not the largest, but the fastest growing aspect of their business. Boom. No wonder they want to do it, man. No wonder. Yeah, they, they want their dealers to delivery agents. That's what they want. They, they want to pay a delivery fee. You know, I, I get it. I get what it is that they want to do. Um, but what they what they don't want to do um, is they don't really want to increase. They don't want to dramatically increase fleet sales for the simple reason that typically those are lower profit margin sales. Okay. Yep. So if they need money to underwrite this this uh, folly, this EV folly, as I'm calling it these days, uh, they need to continue to produce uh, and ship to their dealer body uh, the higher profit margin vehicles. So they, somebody's got to, it, it ain't going to be me, but somebody's got to be smart enough to figure out how you can, how you can make enough money for them um, to underwrite this EV push while producing and selling less expensive vehicles. And maybe, you know, it's that that old cliche, maybe they make it up in volume. Okay. Maybe, you know, if, if it takes selling four of your inexpensive cars, let's say your Chevy, if it takes selling four Chevy tracks for General Motors to make the same margin they make when they produce um, a Suburban. So maybe they need to figure out how to how to sell and, and produce more of those. Because my understanding is that in the last quarter, Chevy dealers sold more Chevy tracks, just the tracks vehicle, then Cadillac sold Cadillacs, all Cadillacs. So obviously 
there's a market there. And, and I know in the comments, we'll see, oh, but they're really pieces of crap. Well, maybe they are, but they're affordable pieces of crap. Okay. Hey, the reviews on the tracks are, are good. Like the tracks is a great option out there for those of you who don't want to spend over $30,000 on a new car. You know, just, just, I, I just, there, there's gotta be a way there just, there has to be. And I know you, I'm going to see it. It's that three cylinder engine. It's a South Korean car. Hell, I drove a mini that was a three cylinder engine. Okay. And it was fine. Pops, one other piece to this puzzle, and then we're going to switch gears to our favorite segment of the show. We had Ally Financial cutting jobs, uh, so indirect lending. Yes. Really, we are continuing to see this as a, a proxy for what we're seeing, which is a tightening of credit availability for those who are lower on the credit spectrum, which you would think would be those people that are trying to get those Chevy tracks. Yeah. Um, so you've got, you've got that dynamic here at play as well. It's not going to be like it was a year ago or two years ago where interest rates were low, loan-to-value ratios were high, extended terms to 84 months were a normal thing. That's not happening right now. So there are a lot of people looking at that Chevy tracks who still won't be able to afford it. A, maybe they can't even get approved, or B, no matter how you stretch the loan, no matter how you do the LTV, it doesn't, the math doesn't math for them. Well, uh, in, unfortunately, in, in many cases, it won't. But the, 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 the truth of the matter is, that the Fed has indicated that there's one more rate hike probably going to happen this year, which means new car and used car interest rates are going to continue to go up. And the Fed has also indicated that they're not anticipating at this point in time uh, starting to lower interest rates again for a year. So that means the people who can afford the tracks might not be able to qualify for a loan for the tracks. It ain't getting any better for them for a year. Um, but, you know, we unless we want to become a society that just rides electric scooters and Vespas, um, we need to figure out, we need to address our, our desire for these large vehicles when realistically smaller inexpensive vehicles can do what we need to do not everybody that drives a big ass truck and a big ass suv needs that big ass truck or that big ass suv it's more of a statement than a need and until we can appeal to to i don't know the sanity of people and say, hey, just just give me a nice two-door car, the two-door hatchback or a little four-door sedan that I can use to get from point A to point B. And and if and when I need to carry four by eight sheets of plywood, I'll go rent a truck. Okay. I don't need to own a truck and pay seventy, eighty thousand dollars for a truck that I'm only gonna utilize it for carrying stuff two or three times a year go rent the I damn you, thing Bob. when you need it i hear you pops uh do it really you gotta be kidding me all right so here's the deal folks we uh are three and a half years into the car edge journey now uh, coming up on four years yeah in january february of next year 
there are a lot of people out there that hate us, like capital H-A-T-E. I had received some of those messages and I thought anonymously, we'll share some of them and react to them here live on the show. This comes from a Facebook group. I don't know what Facebook group it was. Someone just sent me the screenshots where folks are talking about car edge. I think it's car dealers. I think it's people that work in the industry. And I just want to wave the flag. If you work in the industry, we do not want you to hate us. We want you to love us because we should be bringing you people that are just the easiest, kindest, most uh, uh, educated people to ever work with and sell a car to. That being said, let me read you a few of these pops. I got four of them. I had a guy come in and tell me that Car Edge says we should be at 8% off of our 2023 GMC Sierra AT4. He walked and I sold it an hour later and he called later that day to see if we wanted to revisit his offer. Laugh out loud. All right, there we go. Good job, you, Mr. or Mrs. Car Dealer. Here's this one, Dad. Yeah, because that's how you get the best deals in this industry. These coaches are effing their clients and don't even realize it. Mm. Not sure how I feel about that one. Those car edge guys are jokes. They want to talk about not scamming the customer, but then they turn around and charge the customer a quote, small fee to tell them that all car dealers are liars and thieves. Screw those guys. That one got six thumbs up, which we really love. Yeah. And then we've got this one. Sorry, it wasn't anonymized. So that, that person lives out there. Ask if you should include the $899 car edge referral fee in the breakdown or hide it in the price like they prefer. This one I love. It's got 17 reactions to it. I don't even know what an $899 car edge referral fee is. I, I have <laughs> no idea. Dad, you know what I love about the internet? Is that you can hide and I and I'm I'm even gonna throw like car dealership guy into this because it's an anonymous Twitter account. Yes. I love it. I love it. You can just hide behind your computer screen. You can just be an anonymous son of a gun. Come on, man. Be like us. Be real. Okay? You see me in the street, you know who I am. Come say hi. You don't like me? Come tell me you don't like me. Screw you. You really want to go on the internet and and make up BS because you're pissed off that we're helping people? Come on. Show your face. It's just the stupidest. It, It made me laugh, man. It doesn't actually make me mad. It's just like... It feels so immature, Dad. That's I just wanted to share that with well, you. Well, I, I, I'm glad you were able to get that off your chest. As you know, I have said many times that the problem with social media is that it's antisocial. Okay? There, there really is very little about social media that, that serves any real purpose. Um People can be anonymous. They can say things and do things that they wouldn't do or say to your face. Okay. There's, there's strength in hiding. Yes. And, and I, I really do believe that, that at some point in time, we will realize as a society long after I'm gone, that the, the worst invention in human kind was the invention of the internet and social media. Okay. We disagree on that one, but I hear you. <laughs> no, I just be I, I the, the, the internet's important for what we do, but social media is is the absolute worst. Now there are times that social media can do wonderful things, but for the most part, it's filled with people that are fueled by hate, okay, that that really 
don't want to deal with issues in their life and would rather scream and holler anonymously at those who are trying to help other people. We're on every damn day trying to educate, inform, entertain, um, trying to prove that, that applied knowledge is power. And, and for those dealers out there that find um, a knowledgeable customer to be, well, annoying, well, shame on you. Uh, either get in a different industry or learn how to adapt. Um, and, and, and maybe instead of, of looking at every one of these customers as, as a trophy when you, when you knock the crap out of them, that you look at them as the people that are going to put food on your table and you want to have an actual relationship with them so that you can, I don't know, grow your business. But bless you for bringing that up. And, and uh, well, there you have it. Again, I respect the hell out of people who hold their beliefs. They demonstrate and they talk about them. Just say it to my face. That's all I'm asking for. Yeah. Here we go, Dad. We've got it from Taker610. Thank you for the contribution. What is your understanding of how the EV tax credit will be changing as of January 1st? I've heard it's going to be an upfront credit on the price. I know nothing. I haven't done any research on this. Well, uh, starting January 1st, it is supposed to be an upfront credit. Similar to cash for clunkers in the sense that the full credit will be passed through to the customer and they can use it as a down payment. And then the dealer will file whatever it is that they need to file with the government uh, so that the government can then send them that money. Sounds wonderful, except that car dealerships are a cash-intensive, cash-flow business. And You're right. I'm not, and I'm not going to say that the government isn't good pay, but I will suggest to you that the government is slow pay. Okay, they will eventually pay, but they're not going to pay the dealerships like banks do within three days. Okay, contracts and transits in transit, it's called for dealerships. The federal government isn't going to pay that quickly, more than likely. Um, so there's a concern that if dealerships have to wait 20, 30, 45 days to get their payment, that's going to create real cash flow issues for them. Um, and nobody is 100% sure at this point as to exactly how this is going to work. But yes, it, starting January 1st, those credits are supposed to be able to be used like a cash down payment, um, except it'll be the government's cash that you're using and the dealerships are going to have to file the forms and wait for the government to give it to them. That is super interesting. For, um, I mean, we're, we're not going to unpack it. All right. That is super interesting. I, I'm glad that I learned something on today's show, Dad. I always learn something from you on the show. Well, I don't know about that, but I, I'm glad to be able to share that with you. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll be back tomorrow. I appreciate everyone welcoming me back. I had a truly 
awesome experience. So thank you for allowing me the time and space to be able to go invest in myself and becoming hopefully not only a better leader, but just a better human being in general. Um, I think I've got some really good stock that I'm building, you know, a good foundation, my dad, my mom, um, you know, that I'm, I'm growing out of, but definitely learned a lot of tools and techniques and feel, feel really, really, really good. Um, so very excited to be back. Thanks for welcoming me. And I look forward to, yeah. You mean you really didn't go to clickbait university? (laughs) <laughs> no, man, I did not go to clickbait university. Um, he, he did not, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> all right, Dad, we'll but, be back tomorrow. But right? Zach has known, may I say one last thing? Zach has known for the longest time that the best bait is clickbait. You catch more fish with clickbait than you do with regular bait. It's just it's just the way of the world, folks. And we apologize for that up front. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> At what time? You tell me, man. Uh, I think it'll be noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time, 8 a.m. in Anchorage, 6 a.m. in Honolulu, ladies and gentlemen. So thanks for spending part of your day with us today. We look forward to seeing you back here tomorrow. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one.